Welcome to Inside Games, the only gaming news show brave enough to dig Xbox out of the grave. We did it, Lawrence. It's up. It's shambling around. Boy, it's amazing what a week can do, can it? Uh, just a few days ago, folks on the internet were convinced that Xbox was just ditching its console business entirely, going strictly third-party, no more exclusives. That's it. It's in the ether. It's gone. Well, hold on to your Crocs, because it turns out nearly all of those rumors were blown way out of proportion. That's why they're called rumors. Yeah, God. they were. Uh, it, was a, it was a hell of a runaway condition this time. <laughs> Uh, but I will say this, the rumors did kind of force Xbox's hand. Uh, they flipped a quick 22-minute podcast where their executive first string surgically annihilated the more fanatical claims that have been flying around. It's actually kind of a thing of beauty. Some real expert corporate comms going on here. So let's get to the hard news here. Capital H on the hard. Uh, four games are going non-exclusive. <laughs> there are two service games, two smaller games. The, they, were, they were coy about it, though. Didn't say which ones. They did say it's specifically not Starfield or Indiana Jones, but that's pretty much it. Apart from that, they just kind of reinforced what they think about exclusive exclusivity and how it's still important. So here's a quote from the scripture of Phil Spencer. Four games, no promise beyond that. So if you're on those other platforms and you see these four games coming, please don't take it as some signal that everything's coming. It's not. All right, up next, more hard news from Sarah Bond. Uh, she announced Diablo 4 is coming to Game Pass on March 28th. Pretty cool. Yeah, everybody on Game Pass gets Diablo 4. Uh, it is a service game, so it makes sense they want to spread the butter around a little bit. Uh, they actually talked a little more profoundly on that, but we'll get to that later. Uh, unfortunately, no actual hard news about Call of Duty or anything else, Activision Blizzard. So just Diablo 4, March 28th. Hmm. I mean, I'm, uh, I feel like it'll come eventually, but we just don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some tech debt, I think, in getting those games on Game Pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also more hard news. They confirmed work on a next-generation console targeting the, quote, largest technological leap in a console generation. I feel like they say that every time. They do, yeah, right? Yeah. You always target yeah. it. Of course you do. Why would you not target the best possible thing when targeting is free? It's whenever you have to plug it into the wall and turn it on that suddenly becomes a lot more complicated. So yeah, they're still making hardware, or at least they are right now. Uh, they also said more Xbox hardware would be coming this holiday season. Uh, they didn't say if it was a new controller or a new console or what. Just Xbox hardware, they're still in the game. It'll be Series X and S Slim or whatever, probably, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure, yeah. Um, all right, more news about games and an Xbox showcase that's coming this June. They, they're just kind of saying when the next time we'll actually get to see some games from their studios is. Uh, and that's it. That's all the actual news that was in the podcast. They did say a lot more, though, to sort of cover people's fears, kind of address a lot of, frankly, paranoia that's been popping up, and lay out the philosophical future of Xbox. Yeah, it, this is basically the clearest executive communication that we can expect. Uh, we will cover it after a word from our sponsor, Soylent. Today's episode of Inside Games is sponsored by Soylent, the world's most perfect food. Now, how do they make that claim? Well, with a rigid application of science to create the perfect synergy of macro and micronutrients that's delicious, convenient, and cheap. Soylent actually tastes really good. Don't let that cheap part fool you. It's rich, it's smooth, it's velvety. It's like your chalky milk, but for adults. All juiced up by science, cyberpunky with minerals and nutrients. In taste tests, Soylent's formula consistently beats both dairy and plant-based competitors on creaminess, smoothness, 
and tastiness. Soylent's also the ultimate gamer food because it's the most convenient thing on earth. Soylent is portable, it requires no refrigeration, and it's shelf stable for over a year. You can enjoy it anytime or anywhere without prep or cleanup. You got flavor, convenience, and tasteful cinematic references, all for just two to four dollars per serving. That means you'll have time and money left over for that battle pass I know you've had your eye on. So treat yourself with Soylent. First 500 people to use this link and code InsideGames30 will get 30% off their first subscription with Soylent. Thank you very much for the support, Soylent. All right, thank you very much, Soylent. All right, now let's talk about all the business discussion because there was a lot of that, a lot of philosophy. a lot of business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although first, I guess uh, we should we should put in our guesses for the four mysterious games, right? Uh, I don't know, Bruce. What do you think? Okay, so grounded. We already, I'm pretty sure we're confirmed Sea of Thieves, right? But grounded was the other one that I thought of as a service game because they said two service games, and I was like Sea of Thieves, and then of course. Grounded. I, I feel like that's got to be it, right, Lawrence? Yeah, it makes the most sense. Also, there's been a lot of rumors for Sea of Thieves. Uh, so they are even tweeting about it and hinting at it. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of service games, yeah, I uh, I guess the only other service game they're operating right now, well, Minecraft's already there, Halo Infinite. But that feels like it's, yeah, that feels like it's a, they think it's a certain kind of game, which we'll get to later, or rather they'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when they, when, so when they talked about moving games off of Game Pass, uh, Phil, Phil kind of described two categories. Uh, the first category is a service game. Ones where having more players just makes the game more robust and more successful and more likely to operate in the future. And then the second category of game that he listed was ones that were like, uh, that had a lot of heart and soul, but <laughs> didn't necessarily have value as a platform exclusive, which is a really interesting concept to say out loud and put words to. So essentially no one's going to buy an Xbox to play these games. But uh, the developers want to make them, and we're a business, so we have to figure out how to make money off of them. So it just makes sense to move those to other platforms because we're not losing anything in the process. That's right. So, and, and, yeah. what games do you think fall into that category in Xbox's roster right now? So the rumors have been covering Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment, and I'm pretty sure that that makes the most sense for those two games because Hi-Fi Rush was a huge success for them on uh, on Game Pass, and there was lots of you know critical reception around it that was really really positive. Um, and I think the same with Pentiment. So uh, it would make sense that they take these two indies, right? In quotes, obviously, indies, and then move them over to all of the other platforms because why not? Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's getting pretty intelligent and surgical about the relative value of individual games, uh, which is uh, this is something we've talked about or tried to put words to is that some games are just brands into themselves now, bigger than a platform. So if a platform associates with it, then it can lift the platform up to the brand's level as opposed to the as opposed to being inverted, which is how it always used to be. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they have a lot of games now that they're not no one's gonna buy an Xbox and sign up for Game Pass just to play Hi-Fi Rush. Even though it's really, really good. So if Xbox is not gonna get value out of that that way, then yeah, it makes sense to just sell it in another way. Here's the problem though, uh, Bruce, because like Phil was very adamant that it's just these four games and that's where the walls end. But Surely there could be hundreds of other games that Xbox publishes in the future that fall into either of those categories, being a service game that needs more players or a cutesy double A uh, heart and soul dev game that keeps your devs happy and working for Microsoft Studios, but you need money off of it. So why wouldn't we expect this from every other Xbox game like that? This is something I saw on the Internet right after the podcast came out, which was 
everyone's like, see, it's only four games. Whatever, Xbox is fine. And I was like, no, this is a harbinger of things to come. This is, uh, Xbox is testing the waters. They are checking to see if their business actually can go to PlayStation or wherever else and not hurt their console business and not hurt all the parts of their business. And I promise you, if these games do well, see if Thieves will pick up players, Grounded will pick up players, uh, then they're gonna keep doing this with other games. Like, if it were me, I would be looking to fast track Halo Infinite because it's a free to play game, it's a really good shooter, and also it needs more support. I know Halo Infinite's sort of come up in the last few months, um, and it's been getting so, like a nice little groundswell. So you get more players in there and bang, you got another great shooter that was published by Xbox. That's making them a ton of money and it's on PlayStation. Yeah, this is a, this is a cool new strategy. That's actually like, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty jet. Like it just happened with Helldivers too. You know, no one's going to be uh, buying yeah. a PS5 to play Helldivers too. Well, some people might, but not, not a significant. So yeah, simul simultaneously publish, you get the player base, you get all the sales. It seems to be working out really well. Uh, and for me, uh, I just like that it means that more people have access to those double A games that uh, right. need a wide audience to succeed versus a couple of whales. Yeah, and I, th I think ultimately, Lawrence, uh, if the, again this, this succeeds for them uh, in the next few years, I we might see Game Pass on PlayStation. That might be a thing. Um, it, it would it would kind of be crazy because they would do their day one whatever release on Xbox, right? They'd window it but they might do a version of Game Pass on PlayStation if Sony wanted to do it. So, Well, it's so it's it's interesting you bring that up because uh, during the podcast, Matt Booty uh, reinforced what he considers the three iron pillars of Game Pass to be because this uh -huh. kind of came up in conversation too. So let's, let's let him describe that. I think we at First Party can come back to sort of some core principles. First, that all of our games will be on the Xbox platform. Second, all of our games will go into Game Pass on day one. And third, we know that Game Pass will only be available on Xbox. So essentially, uh, I don't know, the the day one thing is, it's still it still bothers me a bit. So I think the reason that PlayStation wouldn't allow Game Pass is because if it has to be day one on that platform, Sony's undercutting themselves hard. Uh, by selling a subscription to their competitor that offers all those games cheaper. They've gone to extreme lengths to kind of lock off their digital store and enjoy all the profits that that gets them. So I don't think that they would they would uh, allow their direct competitor to undercut them that hard. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's any undercutting here at all. I think this is more of, again, over the next few years, if Xbox needs money, and uh, because, I mean, clearly they're doing this because they need money. Like this isn't because they're succeeding and they're growing. They're not the number one in the market. So they have to actually make other, they have to make concessions. Um, now, but I do think you're right about Sony in the sense that I don't know if Sony will necessarily uh, want to include this unless it's something good for them. Microsoft would have to pay them so much money. to. That's right. They would have to cover yeah. all the theoretical loss in sales and then some just to make it worth their while. Yeah. And I don't know, I think Microsoft's endless money bag is, is already dried up, but that would be a hell of a thing. Yeah, well, I, again, just, just something to think about. I don't think it's necessarily coming in the near future. It's just more of like, hmm, I wonder. It would be fun to see. It's It'd be fun to see if the tax man comes calling, what, what links they'll go to. Um, what bugs me is this this dedication to day one, honestly. The the repetition of that phrase is, is annoying because they've already redefined what day one is by selling early access to everything. So that's that's st st stupid, man. Like <laughs> they could have two weeks early access on PlayStation. 
and then it's day one on Game Pass. Or it doesn't mean anything. Anyway, that's just a that's a, an increasingly semantic frustration of mine. Yeah, we reported on that for Starfield. Remember, we were talking about how it was a day one on Game Pass Starfield, and it wasn't because you could pay for five days early access uh, for Starfield. So everyone's doing it and they're going to continue doing it because it's working. So in terms of exclusivity, that's what everybody was worried about because Xbox was going to put all their games on PlayStation and nobody's exclusive and all the Xbox influencers were so upset. Anyways, uh, Phil Spencer had this to say about that. I do have a fundamental belief that over the next five or ten years, exclusive games, games that are exclusive to one piece of hardware are going to be a smaller and smaller part of the game industry. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Uh, although it's it's a bit... Uh, it makes sense for him to acknowledge that, and I think he's speaking very practically. But also it's a bit weird to say that on one hand, but also insist that your exclusivity designs end at those four games. Like, exclusivity's going away, but also we're keeping exclusivity exactly like this. Eh, he, I mean, he, he's an executive, he's got to make everyone happy, and that's what he's trying to do. I think this is one instance where he's a little contradictory, but... We all, we all know where the, the motion of the ocean's going, you know? The motion of the ocean is going toward the money, Lawrence. So if those games sell well, the four games sell well and they bring a lot of money, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to bring more games to PlayStation because it's going to, hey, more money. I mean, imagine being the developer for Pentiment or whatever, and there's, there's a bulk of sales just sitting there that would make your game successful and greenlight a sequel and all that. But just because of where the corporate battle lines are drawn, you're not allowed to reach that money and you can't make this great idea for a game you have that would that would be your career you know i get it so everybody wins theoretically and i have to admit uh i didn't expect phil spencer to acknowledge the layoffs at all he he did in the most like he took the softest ball that i think an executive can take um but he, he essentially pinned it on lack of growth but it's an industry that didn't really grow and what happens when an industry doesn't grow um you end up with some job eliminations, which we had. We had even our own hard decisions to make about building a sustainable business for ourselves. But in no way were we alone in that. So he's right. Phil Spencer is correct. Uh, most of the industry is not growing in the sense that it's not growing as much as they want it to. Right. They wanted they want these numbers to go shoot to the sky, just like everybody does. But uh, he is saying that they didn't grow as much as they wanted to. Now, I'm not saying that uh, I'm running their business and I should be the one that should make these decisions or that, you know, laying off a bunch of people is the right way to do it. Cause I don't think it is. Um, however, he did say that their profit margin is in the single digits, which is like eight or 9%. Now that's, I'm sure unacceptable to the trillion dollar company that is Microsoft. I'm sure Microsoft is like, this is ridiculous. You can't give us 8% growth or 8% profit margin on this. this. We need you to get the numbers up because that's what the shareholder, the line goes up. You know, like that's the, obviously. Um, so I know what he's saying. Again, I don't necessarily think this is the right way to run your business. I just understand what he's saying. Uh, here's a fun headline. Xbox sees record breaking Q1 gaming revenue. Uh, from October, 2023, Microsoft has detailed <laughs> its earnings for the first quarter of its 2024 fiscal year, pointing to a record breaking Q1 for Xbox gaming revenue. I mean, yeah, Bruce, you're right. They, they wanted to be, I want to say at least 10 to 15 million game pass subscribers ahead of where they are. And I think that they had projections. Game pass is the thing that like goes like that. And when your projection starts to get off, then it's like the thousand people that would grow into 3000 hires that would grow into 5,000. You've got to like, you got to adjust the boat. But still, 
they're making billions of dollars. Uh, I, uh, yeah, Microsoft has pretty ridiculous profit expectations, and that's just the game that Phil's playing. Um, so you can like point to all the injustices, but it, I, to me, this is a fascinating example of corporate speak because uh, he at least acknowledged it and talked about it as as presidentially as he could. But there's there's uh, there's capitalism, I guess, just root, just like peeking over the hedge all the time and it's kind of the excuse for most of this i look again i don't necessarily think this is the right way to run your business but unfortunately phil spencer is the business leader for xbox in microsoft so if he were running his own business he could say whatever he wanted and do whatever he wanted but he can't um and so uh and that's why i mean like i'm sure phil i you know what again i trust phil spencer and i really like him when i hear him talk i bet if he was like no i don't want I don't want to lay anybody off. And I'm sure he was like, I, he doesn't. I don't think he does like want to lay people off. So it sucks. Uh, it always sucks. And it's the same story we've heard across all industries in the last couple of years. Uh, and it's a nightmare. Um, so, but again, I see where he's coming from. And I'm not saying it's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Phil did a pretty good, again, did a pretty good job of laying it out. He, he described a situation where they either have to keep growing or they have to raise costs. To, to get the money that they're after. Um, and then apparently uh, they chose to not raise costs, except they did. Price of Game Pass went up in mid-2023. So I don't know why that didn't save anyone any jobs. I guess it needed... I guess you actually need to do it all. And then maybe people get to keep their jobs. But, you know, yeah, he brought it up. He's he's uh, he's a likable guy to listen to. So I guess it did its job. All right. So then we move, we're moving on to the emerging split of the power of game franchises. So Bruce, this this actually stood out to you. Sarah Bond was just straight up, like literally acknowledging the power of certain franchises as PR tools, as marketing draws. It's more than just the product now with some games, which is why I think we're starting to see different rules apply to different games based on their power as a draw. Uh, so I was curious what you thought about this now that gaming executives are starting to, to kind of like openly talk about this more. Yeah, so they she talked about how it used to be that uh, they sold games to sell consoles. They wanted to build their console business up. And that was sort of building their brand. It is no longer that way. It is flipped. Because a game can actually sell a console. And what I mean by that is uh, a game has more selling power, more earning power than any console like Fortnite. Fortnite is a juggernaut. Minecraft is a juggernaut. These are these games are going to make billions and billions of dollars for years and years and years, way more than the Xbox Series X ever will. Um, so, what these companies are looking for, <laughs> they're looking to strike it rich. They're looking for one of these titles to hit. Um, I, now, I don't know if Hell Divers is that title, but Hell Divers is currently exploding and is a live service game. And I, it's hilarious, Lawrence. I've seen so many articles over the last few days that are like, you know what? Helldivers is great. And this is the great example of a live service game. Those same people were writing articles just a week ago being like, live service games are trash. So it just goes to show you they're just looking for the right video game <laughs> to become the live service vehicle. And then it prints money for years. Everyone loves it for a while. Yeah, you gotta catch you gotta catch the uh, the tailwind of public sentiment. That's for sure. Suicide right. Squad got a got a fart in the face in that regard. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah, it is. But but that just goes to show you how volatile it is. Um, there's you can I mean we as we as armchair quarterbacks can sit back and, and analyze all the business things and said they shouldn't have made this. 
But that's like six years after the fact. They said yes to yeah, this right. six years ago, and now it's landing when no one likes it anymore. And how are they supposed to know? So the there's so much volatility, and and yeah, Bruce, you're right. Uh, it's worth it's worth the bets because if one of them pays off, you're you're mint for a decade at least. Uh, which is yeah, that's the game that Microsoft is in right now. I mean, they have Minecraft now, they have Call of Duty, so uh, they've got they got plenty of stuff there. What what I'm what I'm fascinated about is I love this in context of like I like I said before them treating games with different rules. Call of Duty, the way Call of Duty interacts with Game Pass is not the way that Pentiment interacts with Game Pass. Uh, so what's weird is now the publishers have to kind of explicitly treat a game like it it is a pillar franchise title that is a drawn to itself and needs to be behind a glass case or it's the thing we try to earn money off like a legitimate product and just sell it everywhere. So now developers mm. are going to be the ones putting up the velvet ropes themselves around particular things. I thought it was going to happen mostly around game uh, game PR events. You know, if a game gets mm. its own event, then that means it's a premier thing. If it's an Assassin's mm. Creed or a Call of Duty. But if it's bundled in with other things or if it's at the game <laughs> awards, then that means it's like a B tier or lower. Uh, so it's it's interesting to have to have executives start to speak with these kind of divisions in terms of the way they think about properties. Yep, Lawrence, you're exactly right, <clears throat> as usual. Um, so hilariously, right after they talked about how uh, games could be bigger than everything, Sarah Bond reinforced the value of hardware to the Xbox brand. And you look at the history of the industry. We've moved from a place where it used to be that someone built and launched a game to accelerate hardware to actually the things we do with our hardware and with our platform are all in service of making those games bigger. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, those those points make sense from a product standpoint, but it does make more sense why that's just one part of a whole ecosystem that they want to they wanna get people into. Yep, it's a smaller part. I mean, they're acknowledging it now at this point. They're saying that. So she was teasing, oh, there's, you know, we're going to get a new console and the big technological leap and all this other stuff. And like, people will buy those boxes, but not as many V-Bucks. <laughs> They're going to sell a ton of V-Bucks. So it's just going to be like that. Those games are just raking it in. And if they can sell a console for, you know, whatever, uh, a $10 profit or zero, zero profit. Most of the time it's like negative then they're looking to make money on a game. <laughs> yep, swimming in the wake of the money, always. Um, yeah, this, I hope it doesn't go away. I like buying consoles. I like taking them out of the box and plugging them in and stuff like that. Oh yeah, but, no, it's, it's fun. Yeah, inc yeah, what's weird is this recent generation was the weirdest one because I plopped my, my, you know, I plopped a Series X on the thing, plugged it in, and then it was just like the same games played in largely the same way. Maybe like one new game that kind of is a little bit better. It's kind of the same with PS5. I mean, I guess Demon's Souls and Spider-Man were pretty sick, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to buy new stuff, but there's just less and less of a reason why. All right, moving on to backwards compatibility. Uh, I liked actually what Phil said about backwards compatibility because he reminisced about how he was excited when he announced uh, the Xbox One backwards compatibility. I like, I like listening to Phil talk about that because I think he really is, is passionate about it. Compatibility the ability to not only play the games, but my saves are still there with our cloud save systems yeah. to try to keep the services up as long as we can so that people can play is a tenant of what we are as Xbox. It's at our foundation. Yeah, he's uh, he's patting all the heads. That's what most of the executives are doing here. I mean, it's it's nice to get that reinforced and yeah, even throwing back to this thing that I, 
He's, he's, it's a very presidential kind of speech for sure, and then all the techniques he used. I have, I have some, I have some uh, observations about that too. But uh, yeah, he then also uh, in the in the context of backwards compatibility, and I think. I think he just wanted to address the ongoing persistence of the Xbox ecosystem. Many people know I've been on Xbox for over 20 years, and I want to make sure Xbox is in the best position for the next 20 years. That means healthy player community, healthy creator community, and healthy business. So when we look at opportunities to allow more people to play, more people engage, more people to buy, more people to subscribe, it's all about putting Xbox in the best position. And our hardware is a critical component of that. And then we moved on to what is Xbox? And they've been saying this to us for so many, so many years. I don't know why people got scared of it right now, but we know what it is. It's anything that has a screen, a phone, a television, obviously your Xbox, your PC. It's you can put Game Pass on it. You can put Xbox Live on it. Uh, that's all it needs. And they have been saying that this is where they're going with Xbox. So I, you know, I'm not surprised to see some of their games go to other platforms because they want everything to be an Xbox. Yeah, now that they're getting a little more platform agnostic, I guess it is a good idea to explicitly state what they think the Xbox experience ex includes and maybe excludes. So, uh, so yeah, if you can, if you can access your game library through your profile and your friends list and your messages and all that, uh, and you can get to the Game Pass library of games on a device, then that is. And you are in Xbox land, but if you're playing, you know, Hi-Fi Rush on PS5, that's not, that's, that's just a game they published over there. That doesn't count as Xbox, I guess. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's, I guess it's good to have that reinforced so we don't all lose our minds the next time this comes up. Uh, speaking of, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge uh, a lot of patience in old Phil, man, uh, I mean, he, he addressed nearly everything in, in nearly the perfect way. He used the word creators a lot, which I think includes developers, but I also got the sense he was also trying to make content creators calm down a lot, which I think he did. Uh, just very, very surgical wording of every phrase to just kind of like, it was just like a speed run of running down the line and just patting everyone on the head as quickly as possible. Uh, so I was really impressed. Um, you, it worked on me, even though I could I could notice the techniques. I don't know about you, Bruce. I, I mean, it worked on me because it's funny because like I know there's a technique, but I don't think Phil Spencer's using a technique. I don't know if this makes any sense to to you. It, I believe he's just speaking. So I really do think he is thinking about the community. I think he's thinking about his developers. I think he's thinking about the business. I really do believe he's thinking about all of these things and trying to make it so that because he know. I mean, look. Again, Phil Spencer is a very, very smart guy. He knows that if his community is happy and his developers are happy, he's going to have a good business. That's the bottom line. So you know if you have good games on a good platform, you're going to have a good business. Um, it's just going to take a little bit uh, for that to sort of catch up to PlayStation because PlayStation's got a great business too. Um, so I don't I don't necessarily think that he's like using techniques or like studying ways to talk to people. I think he's just, just speaking. That's just me. The chosen one. <laughs> I think he's attempting, attempting to be nice to everybody and attempting to assuage all of our concerns. Uh, and obviously you can't make everybody happy all of the time, but, uh, but Phil Spencer really is attempting to do that. It seems like it. Yeah. It seems like he's trying to be as, as above board, serve everybody's interests and communicate as clearly as he's, he's able to, uh, as diplomatically as he's able to for sure. So, so yeah, it's actually really nice to get, uh, to get this level of, of communication from, from any kind of executive, so 
I don't know. Good good times, Bruce. Good times. And speaking of communication, Lawrence, we like to communicate with our patrons on our Inside Games Patreon. Often, we like to thank them for supporting us. Sherwin Sanchez, Alex Stone, Mason Hoover, Nightboard, Mark Fletcher, and Jonathan Lenowski. Thank you. Well, I got some patrons to thank, too. Xander, Nick Calderon, Dylan Hiley, Tito007, Regulus, and Spirit Bear. Thank you all very much. And, uh, oh, we also have a meme. Together at last, Microsoft and Sony on this momentous day. Uh, so, uh, again, edited by Kino and funded by our wonderful patrons. Thank you all for funding the arts and internet culture and gaming. We thank you very much. And I'll see you next time on Inside Games. Inside Games.